So, um, in, in light of what uh, Beck said before, I will touch on the image of God. Um, I have turned on the microphone. Fantastic. Um, but um, tonight what we're going to do is we're going to introduce a new series. We've sort of finished the, um, the myths, busters, but we'll come back to that because it's pretty good. There's a lot of good um, myths still to bust and um, bad, bad thinking, bad theology, dodgy ways we read scripture. And, and in some ways this next series is actually going to help us understand and unpack some of that anyway. So we decided to call this series The Good, The Bad and The Ugly because um, let's face it, the Bible's full of mistakes. I'll come back to that. Um, and I'll just leave it hanging and don't, don't stone me until after the... But uh, we'll start with that. But have a think for a moment um, about heroes, right? Have a think about heroes. <laughs> All of our superheroes. You know, did you have a favourite superhero growing up? Okay, Viking warrior. That's right. But think about the, the heroes. What, what, what? Ha, ha, I'll, I'll get it. Sorry, my brain's not connecting. How, how do we normally portray superheroes? Think about that for a moment. Oh, they're on the outside. Undies on the outside. What else? Super fit. Brave. Yeah. You know, they're the ideal. Everything. Never have a bad hair day. I never have a, I never have a bad hair day. You know that? I've had a bad hair day for about 35 years. That's pretty good. I've had a bad hair day occasionally. Never a bad hair day. Um, they never have a bad hair day, do they? Think about the stories that actually make up the heroes, the heroic stories. When you actually look at heroic stories from the past, there were certain things that they actually they actually had that made them heroic stories. The further back you get, the more idealised they become. So what I want you to do is talk to one another about what you think makes up a good heroic story. What actually makes an ideal heroic story? Some of the things that, when you think back to the heroic stories of the past, what's ideal, what, what makes that story heroic? Go. <laughs> Story. 
Okay, so um, let's let's start. How does a how does a heroic story normally start? How does an ideal heroic story normally start? The hero's just a normal person on the street. Normal person, but what's going on? There's some issue. There's some issue. There's got to be an issue. Right, and it's an issue that the average Joe Blow or Joe uh, Joanne Blow cannot deal with, right? Yeah. Ideal start, not an ideal story. Right? There's a problem. Ordinary, average person comes along. Then what happens? What else makes up a really ideal heroic story? Telephone box. Abraham, who became the father of Israel. 
You know, Abraham did when he was stuck up against the wall down in, in, in um, what was it, the Philistines? He lied to them and said, oh, that's not my wife, that's my sister. Yeah. 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 Right? He became the father of nations. David, it said, had a title, a man after God's own heart. So let's talk about what this man after God's own heart did. You're going to forget this and it's going to be someone else's story. What did he do? He stays home from work one day. He should have been away at work. He stays home from work. He's up on the top of his balcony, which as can means he's higher than anybody else. He looks over to his best mate's house. And well and behold, there's his best mate's wife. And in typical man after God own heart fashion, the chemicals start going. What does he do? He has a bit of a curve. Then what does he do? Sleeps with her. Then what does he do? Serves man up to a guy so he can kill her, so he can marry her. You see what I mean? Perfect. Man after God's own heart. That's an idealized heroic story, isn't it? No. There's something wrong with this story. All the way through, there's something wrong with this heroic story of God and creation and humanity. We've got the good, we've got the very bad, and we've got at times the very ugly, often seen in one person. Now, here's a good question for you to think about. I don't want you to talk to the person next to you. I don't want you to tell them what is ugly in them, but I want you to think about your own life. Because I guarantee if I sat with you long enough, we'd be able to see where there's the good. You already know what's inside of you that's not so good, which we would call bad. And most of us either hide from or work very hard to hide the ugly. And we actually don't do a good job at that. Because there's a thing called Joe Harry's window, Johari window, that says there's actually one part of us that we don't see that everyone else sees. And we think we're really good at hiding the ugly and the bad, and sometimes we're not. We had a guy actually come um, to take on a new role um, in, um, in our business during the week. And I had to, I was, I was just working from home to avoid everybody, and I was interviewing this guy on the phone with another couple in the room. And uh, he was saying all the right answers. Everything was perfect. He's, he's got to be this quality control person, so he's got to give us good quality control answers. Everything was well answered. It was the right answer. And the very last question I asked him before we finished the interview, I said, so here's a very, very important question. If I went and asked your wife and told her everything you'd said, what would she laugh at and what would she say you are telling not quite the truth? You were elaborating. And he went, oh, what do you mean? And I said, well, I said, you're telling us all this good stuff. What would she say? And I'm serious, but I was also joking. And then he said, oh, and then he went back on a couple of his answers and he said, probably she would say, oh, I'm not quite as good at this as I said I was. I said, great. That was fantastic because we're very good at hiding for the sake of the story. Expose all our ugliness. 
story for a minute. Our, our, our idealized story starts with the idea. We start with this, with this big God. I mean, how big is God, Linda? Yeah, bigger than that. It's actually bigger than the idea. In fact, yeah. It's pretty amazing. So we start with this God that creates everything, as we said, and this, this is the um, image of God stuff. I'm just going to do that in a minute. But, um, we had some great creativity. Created out of nothing. Um, had fun creating um, daisies. You know that because they're everywhere. Um, you know, in fact, imagine God going around. It's, uh, Tom, Tony Compiler said it like this. He says it's like a granddad on a grandfather's lap. You know, when the grandfather dribbles him up and down. Linda, the photographer, do it again, do it again. You know, he's like they're doing daisies. You know, never stop it. But because the guy creates this amazing, um, what does the shack call it? Um, fractious garden, this amazing, uh, colourful. God doesn't create monochrome. God creates in chromatic splendor. And it's perfect. And at the very end of creating, it says this thing. We're going to read this from Genesis. Now, this is the idealized start to the story. And then it goes downhill from there. <laughs> Don't laugh so bad. So let, some, let someone read that if they can. Can you read that from back there, Todd? So God creates this, the beginning of the story. In fact, um, many scholars, just for those that like to go a little bit deeper, actually when you look at the way a temple was built in the ancient Near East, Genesis 1 and 2 actually looks like the construction of a temple. You build the foundations, the pillars, and the, 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 the roof that reflect the ground people live on, the mountains reflect the things that hold up the sky. And where does God hang out? In the sky. The heavens. The gods hang out in the heavens. They, in, in other stories, they don't come down, but they, they used to do it this way. Then what they would do is, in, in the temple, they would, this is right across all religions in the ancient areas. They would build the floor, they build the, the walls, they build the roof, and then they would put into the temple all the important things that reflected their life. So they would put furniture, they would put the ritual bowls, the ritual articles that would all reflect what life looked like under the sky. And what was the last thing they would put in the temple? The very last thing that would go in the temple? The idol. The idol that reflected what? The, the, the image of the God of that temple. 
for the idol, we think idols are this thing that are really bad to worship, but they represented the presence of the God they worship. What was the last thing to go into God's temple building? No. No, us. In this story, in Genesis 1, the last thing that was created to go in that was meant to look like God, think about, represent, look after the birds, the animals, the, the, the sky and the earth itself, was humanity. What is humanity said to be in the image of? The God. You see, God said you shall have no other idols before you. You shall not worship any other idol. Part of the reason for that is he had already put his idol or his image into his temple, his living temple, and that was humanity that was meant to reflect the God who created this temple that we live in. Fascinating, isn't it? This is the ideal story. Now, God's the God of our Bible, we say, is a very perfect God. You heard that man, wouldn't you? Absolutely amazing. Everything God does is theoretically perfect. So you would think that this God, who created out of nothing, created amazing, would actually create everything perfect. Yes? Would you agree with that? Everything should be perfect. No problem. Our story should finish like every other idealized heroic story, that any time a problem comes along, the human being made in the image of God defeats that, no problem, story over. God wins. Let's have a look and see what happens. God looked over everything he made at the very end of creating humanity and he said, it is very good. It is extremely good. And then God rested. Now, it didn't mean that he had a day off. That idea of resting was actually mean God is now settled within the temple or the environment God is present among. That's what this idea of Sabbath rest is actually about. Um, it's fascinating when you look back. We think it's about a day off to, to go to church, but that idea of God's resting means that God has stopped, doesn't need to do any more work. God can now just dwell in this space of heaven and earth. Quite fascinating. So you've got this ideal story. God says it's very good. Let's actually look and see what happens. Can someone else read this? Thanks. gendered language. It's a gendered language from the Hebrew, but the man denotes humanity. Remember what, how did God create humanity? Male and female. We make up humanity. In Genesis 2, he starts talking about it like this. Now, it's very interesting. This God goes to the creative stuff and plays in the dirt. No other God does that. In any of the ancient areas in his stories of creation, no other God plays in the dirt. You know why? It's dirty. 
won't be there. All right. So, so far, so good. The big God, how big is he, Linda? Yeah, much bigger than that. So big, so perfect, idealized story. Nothing can go wrong. It shouldn't go wrong. Because this perfect God creates perfect stuff. Right? Otherwise, this perfect God couldn't actually engage with the stuff because it's God, everything is imperfect, right? So God starts with good stuff. Very, very good. This is what he said to the people. Can someone else read this, thanks? Puts them in the garden. Perfect garden. No weeds. No weeds? We don't know that. Actually, but no weeds. It could have been really good weeds, actually. <laughs> anyway, carry on. I didn't say that to those in the microphone. <laughs> So what do you think these perfect beings created out of the dust, created by this perfect God, what do you think that they're hearing? Don't, don't do that, otherwise you'll die. Fair warning, right? That sounds like a nasty guy, except it's not because it's a huge garden. You can eat anything barring this one. This is mine. Right? There's another theology in that. We'll leave it at that. You know, time. Tricky said, I've got to make sure I finish on time. So, perfect God, perfect story, perfect human beings. What do you think they're going to do in the perfect story? The wrong thing. No, in the perfect story. The right thing. Don't eat it. No, that's what it is. Okay, Mark, here we go. This is the second part. Now the snake said this. Now we don't know if it's a snake, it's a serpent. The lawyer said this. You have heard from God. What did God do? I didn't really say you can't eat that. Ask the right question. That's a good way to start a good politician. She said, no, no. No, we can eat from anything in the garden. But not this one. That's God. Oh. Oh. She didn't say that, but I'm just putting this down. Really good. God knows. If you eat that, you'll be like him, the text says. Got that? You'll become like him. Now, what was what did we read back a few slides? We were already made in his image. We were already like him. They've forgotten some stuff. Now, this makes a good story too. Because they've forgotten. Hang on a minute. Memory loss in the perfect garden? Oh, the story's starting to shake up lots. Might be the perfect story. So what did she say? And gave it to her husband, and he ate. You ready for this, Mark? It's a very big word. Oops. Oops. <laughs> We've got this story that starts so ideally by this ideal guy. Our, our, our story starts thinking that it should be perfect. Because that's what everyone else's creation stories look like from perfect gods, but that's not from perfect human beings. They created attention. So. Someone else read this, thanks. God's Carol. Oh, you got, no, you got this. Go, go, Matt. You got it, you got it. When they heard the sound of God strolling in the garden in the evening breeze, the man and his wife hid in the trees of the garden, hid from God. God called to the man, where are you? He said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid. God said, who told you you were naked? Did you eat from that tree I told you not to eat from? 
story best. God drove them from the Garden of Eden and sent them to work the ground, the same dirt out of which they had been made. He threw them out of the garden and stationed angel cherubim and a revolving sword of fire east of it, driving the path to the sea of love. You see, what we start with is this is this story of a humanity created in the image of God. That forget they're created in the image of God, they do something they were told not to, thinking that God's bad, only to find out actually if they hadn't done that, they would have stayed with this God who isn't that good. You're with me so far. And then what they find themselves is blaming because they're ashamed, and they get kicked out. And you think, God's really nasty. Why would he want us to die? There's an amazing question about who God is in this story. Because we often think that once you get to the story of Adam, if you look back, God, Adam's actually an anti-hero. Because if it wasn't for Adam, we wouldn't be in the stuff up that we're in. Oh my goodness, how could God get it so wrong? It's a bad story. It's not a heroic story. Because with Adam, we see the ideal. The fact is, through Adam and Eve, regardless of how we view Genesis 1 and 2, the story goes for us that through Adam and Eve, we find life. God uses humanity to give us life. So we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for an Adam and an Eve. Call them your mum and your dad. Call them other people. We often think man life is stuffed up. And so we look back and we blame Adam for everything that goes wrong. Or we blame God for everything that goes wrong. Or we blame Eve for everything that goes wrong. We'll leave that. Whereas, but we blame everything and everything. And what we don't realize actually is this is the story of us. It's actually not designed to be a heroic story. It's actually designed to be a story that informs us of both who we are and who God is. And when you get this, God drove them out. The, the word um, there in the Hebrew is very hard. Um, some say he expelled them, but it was actually a forceful driving out so that they wouldn't get to the tree of life. It wasn't the garden that he was excluding them from. It was the tree of life. Why do you think he wanted to exclude them from the tree of life? Started from the beginning, God. 
comes from a very interesting thing. Straight after this, oops, right? We have the story of Adam that, in fact, in the New Testament, is seen in a negative, in part, in part in a negative light, and we don't ask questions why. So we actually read Adam as the anti-hero sometimes for a misreading of the New. You know the story of how Adam landed us in the dilemma in, first sin, then death, and no exempt from either sin or death. Bad story. That's where we left it, hanging. That sin disturbed relations with God and everything and everyone, but the extent of the disturbance was not clear until God spelled it out in detail to Moses, the law. You'll come to that another time. So death, this huge abyss separating us from God, dominated the landscape, Paul says, from Adam to Moses. Even those who didn't sin precisely as Adam did by disobeying a specific command of God still had to experience this termination of life this separation from God. But Adam, who got us into this, also points ahead to the one who will get us out of this. Now we've got a very interesting story. Because you see, what Paul the Apostle said in Romans, this is Romans 6, he said, Adam presents with us the dilemma of this anti-hero, heroic story of God. God starts right, we screw it up. But he said a very interesting thing in the end, and I think that the guy who wrote the message had it right. Adam actually sets us up for the real hero to come along. We're not going to talk about that today. Adam provides us with the chance to have a really good story with a really amazing end. But we've got to make sure as we go through the story of the Old Testament and even into the New that we don't have the wrong picture of God. Because as soon as you've got the wrong picture of God, you stay locked in the spiral of everything is stuff and actually I'm still stuff. That God can't look at my bad stuff. He can't look at my ugly stuff because of this perfect God. But the reality is it actually doesn't come from 
Um, this, I found this picture by a guy on a blog, and I thought it was very interesting. Um, God can't be present in the presence of sin and other crap of God we mind, about God we mindlessly repeat. I think that's actually true. Because you see, God actually can't not be anywhere, according to our Bible. God, God has to be everywhere, otherwise God isn't God. So get this, God even has to hang out in that place that we call hell. That place in people's mind will stay there for a moment. We'll see that hanging as well. So um, some of you might go, Grant, we don't like you anymore, but that's okay. So let's, let's have a bit of fun for a moment. This is a fun part. I'm almost coming to the end, but here's some fun part. What's the time? Six o'clock. Fantastic. We've sometimes got the wrong picture from our wrong readings of the Bible of who this God is. And we think that God kicks Adam and Eve out, and then God leaves them to do their own stuff. And then God occasionally comes and picks someone, then abandons. This is their, their mindset. It's actually more to do with what we call a Greek form of God than it is with a Hebrew ideal of God. So anyway, let's start with this. I've got two lines. What do these represent? <laughs> Up and down, all right? In our story, it's heaven. Hell and hell. Earth. Okay. <laughs> when we think about heaven and earth, we think about this is the way they used to separate. Heaven's up there, earth is down there. This is this is where God hangs out, this is where we hang out, right? So this is high. This is holy. Unholy. This is by the way, this is Greek, so this is the way they used to think, right? Pure. Impure. Perfect. Imperfect. Spirit. And this is what we get from the New Testament. Flesh. Plato. Plato. Platonic thought. Plato, where he lived a few hundred years before Jesus Christ, Greek philosopher, talked about the fact that these, this, this earth is just a shadow of the reality, the truth. So this is just a, this is just a, fire, a weak image of, of, a, of what chair actually represents. Sorry, Bob. I'm <laughs> um, talking about our flesh and later people after Plato talk about this, this stuff is bad, it contains us. We should actually we're actually spiritual beings locked up in this physical tent and this flesh is what gets us into trouble. And sometimes we read the scriptures through this, and sometimes Paul seems in the New Testament seems to be talking like that. But actually he's not. He's playing with imagery and trying to tell us something different because his image of God, his view of God, challenges this image. Richard Rohr often said it. Our image of God creates us. If we've got the wrong image of God, we've got the wrong sense of self. Right? So we've got the spirit flesh. We've got polish, not polish. This has got nothing to do with polish. <laughs> polish, sin. And you see, Jesus challenged the Pharisees to stop polishing the outside of their lives and not deal with the inside. They were so OCD with getting everything perfect on the outside. Right clothes, right work, right words, right actions. They missed something really important. They didn't care what this looked like. And I don't know about you, but when you're with mates, you hang out. And you let it all hang out sometimes. You don't worry about what you wear or what you do. You worry about how important this is. See, God, the gods of the Greeks were more into polish, perfection, than they were into this yucky stuff called earth. So up here you've got God, and down here you've got not God, which is creation. So this is the ancient view of heaven and earth, right? This is really good, yeah. right? Because this is perfect. This is really bad, evil. 
Now, believe it or not, our story seems to start that way. Adam and Eve seems to imply that, doesn't it? And so what we do is we continually think of God as this perfect God. We can't say this. Now, I've often said to Christians, God is where and God screwed up. And people say, you can't say that about God because God is perfect. Well, look around you. If God is perfect and we are made in his image, there's something wrong if you take everything into consideration. Is that right, Absolutely. This is this worldview that we live with often about God. And therefore, in the ancient world, God, the gods would come down, but they'd never touch the earth because that's dirty OCD and it's impure and it's evil. They would never quite touch the ground. Their heroes would never be of the earth because that's evil. You got that? No way would they even do that. That's bad. Do you like the picture? But you see, our story has something really amazing. Where do we find God outside of the garden? With them. Why? Because when you look at the story as a whole, it's not the good, the bad, and the ugly that matters. It's the relationship that God always intended to have with creation. Because what God continually does, our God of the Bible, is bridge this gap. How do we know that? Because... When you look at the narrative of the Old Testament, we always find God present with the good, the bad, the ugly. Irrespective of how perfect that person is, that group is, that community is. Because the story of the Bible is not the story of the ancient heroes and ancient gods of this perfect world somewhere else. The story that we start with is that God intended for this to be good. And even if we've screwed it up, God can What makes the Bible more accessible, more palatable, and more plausible is that the God of the Bible doesn't reject and ignore the heroes and the people. God walks with them in, through, and beyond their brokenness and into his future. In other words, God wants to take us into a future that looks beyond the good, the bad, and the ugly. But that's also the story of Genesis of Adam and Eve. That was the intent in the first place. This picture here is really important. Because if you believe that God is perfect and doesn't like you, or doesn't like that person over there because they don't look like you, because they are imperfect, you miss the whole story from start to finish. God plays in the dirt, creates out of the dirt, and then fills the dirt with his spirit. He took humanity and he breathed on them. We were the first heaven and earth people. Jesus was the main one, but we were the first groups. Humanity was the first incarnation of God. They were created in the image of God. Their life is because God breathed. The animals were just being. He just said to the, he said to the elephant, elephant. He said to the dog, dog, I'm talking about the bird, go and dog. Go and elephant. What does an elephant say? That's right. We can't understand it. Elephant's just elephant. Dogs just dog, cats just cat, worms just worm, 
that human beings have this amazing ability to do something beyond themselves. We see that whether they know God or not. And so the Bible starts with this. A God who says, your picture of perfection and imperfection, as we've looked at that in the isn't my picture. You reject things in yourself that I don't reject. Because I haven't finished yet, God says. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, even David's wife's amazing now. He's never here. That's right. I mean, who, who in their right mind would call them Aunt Bark and Aunt Bark? I mean, go for it. Axolotl. Can you know what an axolotl is? Axolotl is a Mexican walking fish. There you go. I don't know. That's right. That's right. And if you don't want that, it's not an axolotl. That's right. You see... He, he, he takes us with a focus into his future, which is still good. God said, looked around and said, this is very good. We've screwed it up, but God doesn't stop saying it's very good. Because how big is God, remember? I know, I know. And this is the most amazing thing about the narrative of the Bible. He takes the not a people. And that's what he called Israel. He said, you were once, in one word, Hebrew word, not a people. Lo and me, he called them. And God, our God, our story, takes the anti-heroes and makes them his people. He takes the anti-hero, the non-hero, and makes them his heroes. As he calls us to be his people, he then calls us out to go and be in a group of people that don't know God. So that they can find the same God who actually looks past the good, the bad, and the ugly and says, I accept you. He's pretty almighty. He's pretty almighty. Oh, he's almighty. I don't know what that means. <laughs> so we've run out of time. But this is the beginning. This is what this series is going to be all about. We're actually going to go through the whole of the Bible. We're not going to go through every person. And we're going to see how these heroes of the story actually look more like you and I than we realise. They weren't like the hero of the story in the Bible. They actually, it was actually often in their imperfection that God See, the issue isn't that they ate. The issue was yes, that they got that. They were all, I think they were always going to, we would have still been thinkers. I don't think we'd ever stop being that even. But I, I get your point. What do you think about that? I want you to go away. We have, don't have time to discuss it, but I want you to go away and think about that. How does this story, and I'll do this slide, how does this story that we've discussed tonight change the picture of God himself and perhaps the Bible? How does it sh shift your understanding? How does it impact your understanding of yourself? Because you see, if God likes you, even with the good, the bad, and the ugly, why do you often feel rejected by this God who actually likes you? And that comes back to Dave's point. That's why I think it's a really important point. We often think we have to in order to be accepted. How does it change your picture of God? And then, how does it change your picture of others? Because, you see, we often reject the other because they either expose us or they don't look like us. They're not perfect enough. 
And that's been the whole history of community against each other. Because he says a community, we should look, we should look the good, the bad, the ugly at each other. We should look beyond that. We help each other with the bad. Don't worry about the Botox or the ugly. But just accept in order for us to be more reflective of this image of God who actually created us in the first place. And it's good. You are meant to strive for perfection. What's that? You are meant to strive for perfection. No. And I'll come back to that another time. Yes. And love. But anyway, that's great. Go away, think about that, ponder that. Um, and um, when you look in the mirror tonight, don't see the what you perceive as the ugly. Don't see the, the bad or even necessarily compare it to the good because, as Michelle says, we compare our worst with everyone first, so we never survive. We can never come up. But just, just see yourself actually and say, well, I might have to change some things, but in the end, who I am is actually acceptable to God. And then we work on the maturity. There is a need to be mature. There is a need to change some things. doesn't mean we stay as we are. But we've got to start with the right image of God who plays in the dirt, kisses the dirt, brings that dirt to life and says, this is my people. Father, I just want to thank you for tonight. I pray that uh, as we go through this series... Um, you'll help us look beyond our, our own ugliness and, um, and see us for who you see us, that we look beyond each other's struggles and, and limitations and uh, learn to be a community that actually has a right picture of God so we have a right picture of ourselves and a right picture of others and that we can continue to witness this God who is generally coming and playing the world with you. In Jesus' name. Pray for Michelle this, uh, the next few weeks. She's seven weeks overseas. Uh, including, including a, a week in Icky Land. Sorry, Iceland. She's going for a week, a holiday actually, and uh, she's working in some prisons, seeing some very ugly people um, at, at the worst of the worst, and she'll, um, she'll bring some great things. So please pray for her. Pray for Mark, who has to look after us over the next seven weeks, and uh, he's a good one anyway. So it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's all good. Thanks for that. Thank you. So um, next week I'm going to talk about Samson. Muscles. Do you want me to bring a week? Yeah, no, I won't be, I won't be doing yeah, that. Well, there's a little bit of Samson in all of us, I think, and you will find that next week. His struggles, not the same sort of struggles, but different struggles. That we all battle with. Oh, I think that was great what Grant spoke on tonight. And this will be, I'll put this up online because it's quite a lot to chew through of what Grant said, particularly at the end there. So I encourage you to jump online on our website and go to the audio section and listen to the message through again if, you, if you've got time. <laughs> Alright, so that's it for tonight. Next week we start with the kids. Um, I've got, if we can be um, sort of half nearly done by seven because the um, the lady who looks after the place is coming. So no, no, tonight. So we've got to sort of be out of here by seven. What time is it now? Oh, we've got heaps of time. All right. So um. But if you can help us stack chairs and yeah, stuff, that'd be good. yeah, that'd be great. Thanks heaps. Did that
actually speaking to Israel to keep thinking, well, I can do what I like and God's okay with me. And, and it's post-exile. And so post-exile, they were looking and saying, why do we go into exile? It's because we sin. God hates sin. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bigger story. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't mean that we stay in there and keep it in our lives. If you know it's sin, do it. If you and I have got something against each other, do it. That's sin to God. We're not dealing with it. We're choosing to reject each other. We're choosing to reject God. So I had someone, just on what you were saying, just on what you were saying before, I was talking to someone during the week and they were talking about the... um, Hello. Sorry, can you give that to your wife? Yes, I will. Nice to see you. You made it down. How's John? I'm 